Well, Ooh. what what a lunch! Thank you, ladies. Yeah. Now the big the big challenge for me is to keep you all awake. <clears throat> but let me give you assurance: uh, if you feel like you're kind of snoozy. Enjoy it. <laughs> Just uh, put your put your head on the shoulder of the person next to you, and just just don't snore, don't make a noise, but uh, enjoy it. I see this happening constantly when I'm preaching. I see people nodding off, and I think, what a wonderful ministry God has given you, son. You enable people to relax so much they fall off to sleep. So enjoy it. But that was just a lovely lunch. And uh, as church lunches go, that must be a way up near the top, if not on the top. But thank you. All right, we're on sheet number four. And uh, I've called it Healing on the Street. And uh, if you could turn with me to Acts chapter 3. <clears throat> Acts chapter 3, and uh, I wanted to read the first 10 verses of Acts chapter 3, and uh, simply to point out to you that Acts chapter 3 follows Acts chapter 2. <laughs> There's no end to this man's wisdom, you know, I, I, I see these things. And Acts chapter 3 flows on from Acts chapter 2. But you cannot have Acts chapter 3 unless you have Acts chapter 2. Is that all right? It's all right to say that. And we're going to crown the day by ministering to one another. And uh, Pastor Philip will give some directions on that, how we're going to do that. But what I would like to happen... Uh, at that time, is that I'm, I'm sure there are certain needs you might want to share, uh, but whatever the need is, that everybody who has joined us for today would know a new anointing of the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and we need to pray for one another. That there's, and please, I, I want to be part of that, that you would pray that I too would have a new anointing of the Spirit on this Saturday afternoon. Uh, so that will be the crowning of it. And I, I wanted to say Acts chapter 3 in that context, that uh, in verses 1 to 4 of Acts chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And they were where they were because Jesus had told them. Now, I, I'm not sure what brought you here today. From whatever your background, whatever your church relationship, the important thing is that whatever the circumstances, you would acknowledge that you've come, not by chance, but by choice, by God's choice, that you would be here today. Certainly not because I'm speaking. That's not the issue. I mean, uh, my friend over here checked me out as I was saying this morning. 
on YouTube just to make sure I was kosher, I think. Uh, so you didn't come because I'm here. You came because Jesus is in the house. And uh, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together. In one, they actually were having a 10-day prayer meeting in Acts chapter 1. Uh, so it's, it's an amazing context. It's very interesting that if you go back, I'm not asking you to do this, but if you go back to Acts, uh, to Luke chapter 3, and some of you are taking notes, you might want to note this, verses 21 to 23, it tells of how God the Father anointed God the Son with God the Holy Spirit. It's an amazing passage. And I've frequently returned to that passage and come to the conclusion, if the perfect, sinless Son of God needed the anointing of the Holy Spirit to do what he did, so does Jim. And so do you. But the interesting thing about Luke chapter 3 is that Jesus was praying. It says that he had been baptized by his cousin John in the Jordan River, and he was, it says he was standing praying. And heaven opened. I don't really know what that means. My understanding is that eternity touched history. That, that's what I understand. I don't know what it looked like, but I think that's its meaning that, that uh, eternity touched history. And God the Father touched God the Son with his spirit. And if you check that out sometime, before Luke chapter 3, Jesus was not involved in his public ministry. After Luke chapter 3, he is involved in his public ministry. And miracles begin to happen. But before that, no ministry, no miracles. Very interesting. One of the first things that the Spirit did was to lead Jesus into the wilderness to be tested by the devil. It's very interesting. You check this out, that Jesus went into the desert or the wilderness full of the Spirit. He came out of the wilderness empowered by the Spirit. Check it out. That's what it says. And I sense in my own spirit that there are several here that uh, are going through a, a difficult time that's bringing confusion and uh, heartache and, and uh, you, you, you feel something of the burden of life. And really what I'm saying to you, and I say this as your brother, that uh, this could be the most positive and creative time that you've ever known. That you're going into this full of the Spirit, but you'll come out of it empowered by the Spirit. So the point I was trying to make is that in, Luke, in Acts chapter 2, verse 1, they, they, they were in this 10-day prayer meeting, and uh, they heard something. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. The interesting thing is, it's not a gentle breeze. It's a violent tempest like, well, I don't know what the force would be, but it's very strong. And the second interesting thing is, 
that it's happening inside the house, not outside. Now, when there's a gale blowing outside, it can be terrifying. What would it be like inside? Verse 2, they heard something. Then verse 3, they saw something, what seemed to be tongues of fire. See, this is written by a doctor. And uh, his name is Luke. And uh, he... uh, He's used to clinical analysis. He's used to precise diagnosis. And I think he's struggling in verse 3. He says, they saw what seemed to be. And I think when I've seen that portrayed artistically, it's often seemed bizarre to me. We're trying to display or demonstrate something that's Almost impossible to demonstrate. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And I've actually marked that, the last three words of verse 3, each of them, with a green marker pen and put a black ring around it. Because that's my prayer for today, that nobody who has come today would go away without knowing a fresh anointing from Jesus. Each of us would know that. And then the beginning of verse 4, and I've marked that with a green marker pen, put a black ring around it, all of them. See, this is totally inclusive. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So they heard something, they saw something, and they did something. It's a remarkable passage. And so the story goes on. There isn't time to unpack Acts chapter 2 today. But let me read from Acts chapter 3 that follows on from Acts chapter 2. One day, we're not told how long it was after Acts chapter 2, but one day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. So they were no longer in a a religious environment. They were no longer in a Christian environment. They were out on the street. That's the point that I wanted to make. Now, a man crippled from birth, being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple, into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. That's, you see, that's what he thought he needed. It occurs right through the scripture that Jesus doesn't give us what we want. He wanted money. Jesus gives us what we need. And that takes us into verse 4. Peter looked straight at him. Very strong language. It really means Peter fixed him with a gaze. He was really in focus here. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. I mean, this man must have wondered, what's going to happen now? Then Peter said, look at us. He doesn't say look at Jesus. He said, look at us. There is something about us that cannot be explained in human terms. 
because we were in Acts 2. I mean, the crippled man doesn't know that. But these people were changed and transformed as a result of their encounter with God the Holy Spirit. And, and, and brothers and sisters, we need to be able to carry that responsibility and authority in the streets. Look at us. There's something about us. This isn't arrogance. It isn't pride. It isn't pretentiousness. This is reality. We know that God has done and is doing something within us and will do through us what we can't do for ourselves. So, hey, look at us. Very significant three words. So, the man gave him his attention. He expected to get something from them. It was still into the money bit, you see. And Peter disillusions him in verse 6. Peter said, silver or gold I do not have. But brothers and sisters, I believe the next seven words encapsulate the whole of the Acts of the Apostles. But what I have, I give you. What I have, I give you. And the great tragedy, it does seem to me, in the contemporary church is that often we're trying to minister out of our own poverty. Here's how it works. We need to have a good receivery. I've, I've taught this before when I've been with you. We need to have a good receivery, but we also need to have a good givery. That's bad English, but it's good theology. You see, sometimes we want only to take selective things from the hand of God. I'll have this, and I'll have this, and I'll have this, but I don't want that, and I don't want that. But we need to receive all that God wants to give us. And, and before we engage in ministry, we need to spend time in the presence of God receiving all that he wants to give us with no exception, no qualification, no conditions. I'm ready now to receive everything that you would give me. It may not be my tradition. It may not be my denominational position. But I'm, I'm now ready to receive all that you want to give me. But God doesn't give us so that we become self-indulgent. God gives so that we can give. And you will already know perfectly well that Jesus never did feed the 5,000. The disciples fed the 5,000. Check it. John, the Gospel of John, chapter 6. But Jesus gave them what they needed in order to do the stuff. And that's how it works. I receive so that I have something to give. And where there's a problem, spiritually, there's, there's a blockage, either at one end or the other. Either we're not receiving all that God wants to give, or 
we are receiving, but we, we think that's for me. And we try to hold it to ourselves. And so there's a blockage about releasing that into the lives. Isn't this exciting? I mean, this, you see, your ministry and, and our ministry is, is not about a bigger effort. It's about a bigger availability to receive all that God wants to give. I'm, I, Lord, I'm available. So that having received, I now can release what God has given. And whether it's in a healing room or on the street or wherever we are, whether it's inside or outside, actually, that doesn't matter too much. The important thing is that we are called to be the receivers and the givers of the grace of God. And it's with that authority and with that confidence and with that power that we will see God at work in the situation. For here is the wonderful thing. The more that we give, the more that we receive. And so as we give, God gives. And as God gives, we give. And as we give, we receive what God is wanting. That's, that's the way it works. So it's, it's a call today for a greater availability. There used to be a song that we sang, Here I am, wholly available. As for me, I will serve the Lord. So you guys are on the front line of mission. And that's why I wanted that we would notice this passage that's here. Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk. Taking him by the right hand. Isn't that the way a doctor would speak? He didn't just take him by the hand. It was his right hand. See, he's being very accurate here. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And look at it. Here's a man who has been crippled from birth. So, I mean, I can remember breaking my arm as a boy of eight. And I was in plaster for, for a long time. Actually, I broke my arm and shoulder in five places. And uh, I was in plaster for many, many weeks uh, as a wee boy. And I, I remember when I went to the Royal Infirmary in Glasgow, they, they eventually cut off the plaster. And I couldn't believe what happened. It seemed like that all the flesh had gone. Uh, just like wrinkles. I was only a wee boy. Just wrinkled skin and bone. There was no muscle there. And I can remember sitting at home. I was sitting on the carpet reading a book. And I put this hand that had been taken out of plaster, was now healed. I put it on the, the carpet and I keeled over. There was no power in it. The muscles had wasted. But look at what it says here. Instantly, the man's feet and ankles became strong. See, I, I, I don't know if you believe this, but this is how God works. This is authentic stuff, as we're going to notice in just a moment. He jumped his feet, began to walk. Well, that's wonderful enough, having been crippled from birth. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him. As the man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. 
This is authentic stuff. This, this isn't some kind of hopeful, maybe, could happen. This, this, is, this is reality. They recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. So I've, I've asked uh, four questions, and I'll attempt to answer these four questions in about 25 minutes. And we're going to have a break for worship, and then we're going to move into prayer. So here, this stuff, why, why, why do we get involved in going out? You see, the symbol of the Christian faith it's not a fish. I understand a fish, but it's not a fish. It's not a dove. I understand the dove. The symbol of the Christian faith universally is a cross that reaches up to heaven, that reaches down to hell, and reaches out to embrace the whole wide world. So God has called us. You see, we come together as the church gathered that's what's going to happen tomorrow. The church will gather. But the church still functions on Monday when we become the church scattered. And we gather so that we can scatter. And we scatter in order we can come together again for teaching, for worship, for fellowship, for vision, for affirmation, for all these very positive things. But the calling of God in our lives is that we would minister on the street. And that's why I called it healing on the street. I mean, it, it could be in the office or in the shop or in the factory or the, in the taxi. Or, or, or what, Do you understand what I'm trying to say? That... Healing is something that we carry with us. It's not simply for a specific hour or two hours. That's good. But it, it's, it's a calling by God. It's a lifestyle that we adopt. And uh, we do that. And I put down five reasons. First of all, because of the character of God. See, God's concern is that he would have a family Genesis 1, 27 and 28, write this stuff down when you get the time. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. I hear a voice. <laughs> it's funny standing here listening to myself. <laughs> I can actually speak without moving my lips. <laughs> Don't apologize. You're with the family today. So that's okay. We get involved on the streets because of the command of Christ. This isn't something that's 
uh, optional. This is mandatory. All authority, we know this, Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And that is our commission. Thirdly, because of the cooperation of the Holy Spirit. Acts 1 verse 8 that you know backwards. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. That is assured that we cooperate with God, the Holy Spirit, the third person in the Trinity. Fourthly, because of the concept of the church. And so, it's, I, I've chosen 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verses 7 and 8. I could have chosen quite a number of other passages. I chose this one. So you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Come on, guys. Here is an opportunity. Whether you come from Hope Community Church or from some other church, the concern of God is to build models of what he can and wants to do. And you're part of building that model community. This isn't just theory. This is reality. This is activity that's being spoken of. You became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Isn't that a remarkable statement by the apostle of this place called Thessalonica? You become a model. Your faith in God has become known. See, we don't just speak about it, we demonstrate it. And as far as I understand, that's what today is about. And then fifthly, because of the conclusion of history, Revelation chapter 7 and verse 9, after this, I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. Whoa. Whoa. See, life is short even at its longest. We run a home for elderly people across the road from our church where we care for 38 elderly people. Every one of these people, I'm not so involved in that ministry now as I used to be, but every one of these people, certainly during my watch, if you sat down and talked with them, all of them without exception, in one way or another would say, life is so short. Life is so short. That's not a threat. That is a reality. And our destiny is heaven. Imagine to see the multitude of those who gather to worship the Lamb upon the throne. What a wonder to know that we might have had a little part in bringing somebody or some to that very place. Do, do we want that stuff? 
sees a great deal of confusion in the contemporary church in this country between our destiny and our assignment. Our destiny is heaven. Our assignment is to bring heaven to earth. And we do that under the sovereignty of God, acknowledging the Lordship of Jesus Christ and being dependent on the resources and ministry of the Holy Spirit. I mean, I, I would want to say to you, go guys, go, go, go and do it. Jesus commands us to go. I think it was Keith Green who sang a song. Jesus commands us to go. It's the exception if we stay. The reason we're moving so slow is because we refuse to obey. Come on, guys. Let's go. Let's do this stuff. So I've spoken about why mission. God bless you. Have a good rest of the day. Bye-bye. So verses 1 to 3, let's get back to the text. Where mission? Verses 1 to 3, we've already indicated that Peter and John this day would go up to the temple, the time of prayer. In fact, they were going about their normal activity at 3 in the afternoon. A man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful. He was put every day to beg from those going into the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them, for money. Isn't it interesting that so far as this man was concerned, his needs were better met outside the church than inside the church? That was his conclusion. He saw these religious people going up to prayer, going up to the reading of scripture, going up to worship. He saw them, probably heard them, because he was quite near where they would be. But so far as he was concerned, what went on inside the building had no relevance for him. I don't really recognize that. You see, the vast majority of people in Perryville, whatever church you come from, they're not concerned even if you exist. Because they have concluded that wherever their needs are going to be met, it won't be met there in the church. The needs are much better met outside the church. I have a friend who wrote to me uh, a year or two ago, and this is what he says, if the church leaves a vacuum, other religions will fill it. That's already happening. The only remedy for our national dangers is a tough church. We must stop playing church, abandon our club mentality, and cease to live on a diet of comfortable meetings and soothing messages. When I received this, it, it disturbed me. Serious things need to be spoken about, such as the fear of God, his anger, hell, judgment, the need to persevere, discipline in the church, and the fact that persistent sinners are not guaranteed a place in heaven. We must cry out day and night for the gifts and the power of the Holy Spirit without which we will never be the church after God's heart. See, we, right across this nation, we are building churches that are built according to our hearts. This is the kind of church I want. This is where I want to go. This is where I feel comfortable. 
But what about God? It's his church. After this is what the man is saying. Thank God, he says, that there are many such churches, good, gutsy ones, with good leaders who allow the Holy Spirit to lead and not the program. Here's an interesting sentence. We need many more such churches and leaders. Churches where the sick are healed, the oppressed are delivered, the unsaved suddenly and obviously born again. Churches where we have good worship leaders who distinguish between worship and a sing-song. Who lead us in scriptural songs that are not just me-centered or unreal or untruthful. How good it is, he writes to me, when there are helpful visions, prophecies, and testimonies to aid our worship and prayer, but we need more of the clear, direct, authentic, prophetic word from God in this age of great deception. Through prophecies, God's remedy for the deceiving words, visions, and apparent prophecies through which Satan works as an angel of light in the church. What the man is calling for is authenticity. He's calling for integrity. He's calling for reality. If our, listen to this. He says, if our church doesn't resemble the ones that I've described, it may be good to call a halt to all church activity for a while and wait on God for it. And then subject every one of its activities to a stringent, prayerful scrutiny to see if they're still part of God's mandate. You got it. It's not, fin not finished. Yeah, yeah. Mutual friend. I, I, I didn't know that you knew Alex. Yeah, I knew Alex well. Okay. If we're not constantly seeing souls saved, the sick healed, and spiritual gifts manifested in a genuine way, and if our congregations are not holy and ready to meet God at the judgment seat without blushing, What's the point of our meetings? What's the point even of our existence as churches? Yeah, you're very welcome to have a copy of that if you want it. The point I'm making is uh, there on your notes, I've called it the irrelevance of religion. See, we, we, we need to re-examine what we're a part of and what we... This is not to make us critical, but to make us prayerful. It's very easy to be critical. It's much more difficult to be creative and prayerful. And the call of God on your life today is to become prayerfully creative people who will pray into being parts of the family of God where the work of God is accomplished and done. Hey, isn't that a calling? The irrelevance of religion. The point I'm making in verses 1 to 3 is simply that. That's as far as he was concerned. 
What went on inside the building had no relevance for him. And, and, and frankly, for, it's very interesting because in Acts chapter 2, when these people are baptized in the Holy Spirit, verse 12 of Acts 2, amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Hey, what's going on here? See, these are the people outside the church in Acts chapter 2. The 120 are inside the church, I'm calling it that. In a sense it is. And some, however, made fun of them and said they've had too much wine. See, there's always a concern to explain in human terms what God is doing by divine authority. I, I just wanted to say to you, it's only occurred to me as I'm standing here, but I want to minister this in the name of Jesus. When the church begins to be the church, see, I believe passionately. The thing that gets me out of bed in the morning and sends me careering through the country is exactly this, that the cry of God's heart is not so much the darkness in our culture. The cry of God's heart is that his church might be his church and behave as the new body of his son on the face of the earth. That's why we went through some of the stuff we went through this morning. We are called to live the risen life of Jesus. Do you need to understand what healing is about? And secondly, we need to understand what, what Jesus' heartbeat is for healing. And that's the calling of God on our lives. And then, well, in these same three verses, this man was deeply impoverished in the sense that uh, he, uh, he was a beggar. He had no prospects. Uh, he had no relevance, no meaning in his living. Somebody carted him there every day, and uh, he received money from people to beg from those going into the temple. I think, I think it was William Booth who was preaching at the graduation of some Salvation Army cadets who were about to become Salvation Army officers. And they were about to be certificated or whatever they do in the Salvation Army. They were about to become Salvation Army workers with a uniform and, and so on. And this is what he said. He said, I'd much rather take you for two days into hell than to give you two years in a Bible college. And that struck me when I first heard that. I thought, wow. Because we need to see not only the abject poverty of men and women in this life, but we need to see the darkness and the destructiveness of the next life into which they're going. So, they're out there, folks. And uh, some will come in here into this building and into the buildings that you will be in, into the building that I'll be in North Church tomorrow morning. But uh, So that's where mission is. It's on the street. How are we to conduct our mission? Well, very quickly, I, uh, I wanted just to look at the final part of, of this, this chapter. And uh, 
to, to share it with you. Verses 4 to 6, Peter looked straight at him, as did John, and Peter said, look at us. So the man gave, him, gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver and gold I don't have, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk, he says. So there are three things that I put on your notes. First of all, there is the presence of the Holy Spirit. There is the evident reality of God at work in Peter and John that gives them the confidence to say, look at us. And actually what they're saying is there is something about us that God has done that is undeniable and is patently obvious. Look at us. Verse in the hymn, Breathe on me, breath of God, that, that uh, says, Breathe on me, breath of God, fill me with life anew, that I may love what thou dost love and do what thou wouldst do. I think it's the third verse that says, Breathe on me, breath of God, till I am wholly thine. Third line. Until this earthly part of me glows with the fire divine. I think that's what's going on in Acts chapter 3. The earthly part of them, there's, I don't know what to say, I don't know how to use words here, is glowing with the fire divine. And uh, so, that's verse 4. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter, and Peter said, silver or gold I don't have, but what I have I give you. I've already expounded that and explained it in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk. And uh, I put down in my notes, see this man was looking for money. Money will give you a bed but not sleep. Money will buy a book but not brains. Money will buy food but not an appetite. Money will buy you finery but not beauty. Money can buy you a house but not a home. Money can buy you medicine but not health. Money can buy you luxuries, but not culture. Money can buy you amusements, but not happiness. Money can buy you a crucifix, but not a savior. Money can buy you religion, but not salvation. Money can buy you a good life, but not eternal life. That's what the man wanted. But actually, they gave him what he needed. And as I, I draw this session to a close, I want to share six things. You might want to note them. Six things when we use the power of the name of Jesus. Number one, 
In Luke chapter 24 and verses 43 to 49, it's the story of the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Do you remember? And, uh, and Jesus in his risen presence draws near to them. Well, you know, the, you know the story and they invite him to stay over. This is what it says. He opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. And this is what he said to them. Repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. So the first thing that can happen because of the name of Jesus is forgiveness. Forgiveness is possible through the name of Jesus. As if Jesus himself were ministering that. We already covered that this morning. That's Luke 24, verses 43 to 49. Secondly, Matthew 18 and verse 20. You know this much better. Jesus says to the disciples, where two or three come together in my name, there am I with them. Now, I've often heard that uh, text, Matthew 18, verse 20, used to excuse human absence in a prayer meeting. Many times I've heard people pray, Lord, there are only two or three of us here. Oh, we're so sorry. We're such a small group. Actually, that promise was given by Jesus not to explain human absence, but to declare divine presence. That's Matthew chapter 28. Uh, sorry, Matthew chapter 18 and verse 20. Because of the name of Jesus, fellowship is real. Forgiveness is possible. Fellowship is real. Here's the third thing. In John chapter 14 and verses 13 and 14. John chapter 14 and verses 13 and 14. It's a very atmospheric time, John chapter 14. It's the eve of the cross, the eve of the crucifixion. Jesus is about to go to the cross on the next day. And, and these disciples of his are scared witless. And this is what he said to them. I will do whatever you ask in my name. I will do whatever you ask in my name. I will do whatever you ask as if it was me asking the Father. So that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. See, I've come to the conclusion that mainly the secret of answered prayer is not so much, it is, of course, but not so much faith in the Father as it is fellowship with the Son. Do you get that? It is faith in the Father. Of course it is. But it's because we have fellowship with the Son. We know his heartbeat. We know the longings and the yearnings of his being. Lord Jesus, how do you feel about this situation? And that's the third thing. 
Prayer is effective. Forgiveness is possible in the name of Jesus. Fellowship is real in the name of Jesus. Prayer is effective in the name of Jesus. Number four, Philippians chapter 2 and verses 9 to 11. Philippians 2 verses 9 to 11. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What's that about? The future is secure because of the name of Jesus. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Our future is secure. Number five. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 17. Colossians 3 and verse 17. Whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. And that impacts the ministry, the specific ministry that we are called to fulfill in healing rooms and on healing in the street. Whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. You're not doing it for the church. You're not doing it for the men of the church or the women of the church or the young in the church or the children in the church. You're not even doing it for the community. You're doing it in the name of Jesus. You're doing it for his sake. So the, four, the fifth thing is that service is significant in the name of Jesus. And finally... Number six, Luke chapter 10 and verse 17. Luke chapter 10 and verse 17. The 72 returned with joy, and this is what they said to Jesus, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. There is power in the name of Jesus. And that's number six. Power is available in the name of Jesus. That's actually verse six of Acts chapter three. And that's where I wanted to get to. Then Peter said, silver or gold, I do not have, but what I have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Woo! Walk. Six magnificent things. See, it's important that we fellowship with Jesus because forgiveness is possible, fellowship is real, prayer is effective, the future is secure, service is significant, and power is available in the name of Jesus. There's no substitute. That takes us into the final part. Others taking him by the right hand. Peter helped him up instantly. 
The man's feet and ankles became strong, jumped his feet, began to walk, went with them to the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. You see, not only had life now, he had liberty. He had life before, but now he had liberty. He not only had liberty, he had lavishness. He wasn't just walking. That's not what it says. It says he was jumping. So there, see, when God does this stuff, there, there's an abundance, there's an extravagance about it. And there's not just something happening in his body, something's happening in his personality. He is now praising God. He didn't do that before. He stayed outside the worshipping community rather than going. Now it's different. He's going into the worshipping community. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, filled with wonder and amazement what had happened to him. So lives are changed and the community is challenged. I remember visiting a man, Bob Blevins was his name, in Barlini Prison in Glasgow. In Glasgow, they call it the Big Hoose. The Big Hoose. Terrible place. I haven't been there for years and years and years, but I, I remember going to meet this man. He was about six feet six. He was like a giant. He uh, was a, a mechanic for... Um, heavy goods vehicles. When, when I shook hands with him, my hand disappeared. He just, and his hands were all cracked and hard. He was a huge man. Just, just imagine the power that was in that man's body. Well, he was in the big house for grievous bodily harm that almost led to murder. And Jesus met Bob. And his life was changed. He became one of the gentlest husbands I've ever known. His wife was quite a small wee lady. It was unbelievable to see them walking together. He became such a tender-hearted. It was unbelievable what happened to him. And as a dad, he became so tender and concerned. But here's the point. So many of his former colleagues became Christian because they saw such a change in Bob. Swearing, hard living, drinking, difficult man, totally changed. And that can happen in this community. Huh? People will see what God is doing on the streets as people come and encounter the Lord Jesus. I'm done. That's what I came to share. And uh, we're going to go into the last part of the day, which I think is the crown of the day. I'm going to pray for one. My beloved brother here is, is going to give us some instructions about what we should do. Thank you, Pastor.